This is Corinne. And this is Ayani. And you're listening to Sex, Love, Literature, a pop culture podcast where we take a semi-scholarly look at why and how the sex stuff in media matters. This episode, we get into why we love and love to hate love triangles. We talk what makes a love triangle truly top tier, second male lead syndrome, and let's be honest, a lot of (laughs) K-dramas. But don't worry, we talk about other stuff too. And as an extra special treat, we're joined by the wonderful Leah Riley, romance author and co-host of the K-Drama podcast, Afternoona Delight. And before we get started, if you have a friend who'd like a little SLL in their lives, maybe send them a link to your favorite episode. Maybe even this one. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review, only five stars though, uh, on (laughs) Apple Podcasts or Podchaser to help other people's friends find us too. And now on with the show. (laughs) Hello, hello, SLL listeners. Karina and I are back to talk more wonderful sex stuff with you today. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) On our episode. Um, Today, we have something very special planned for you. If you looked at our title, you notice we're going to be talking about love triangles across a variety of media but we also have kind of a special treat so listeners we would like to welcome leah riley to our podcast Yay, Yay. thank you (laughs) so leah is a prolific romance author she has written a slew of books a wide variety just a couple titles that we pulled are Upside Down, Last First Kiss, which is a great title, by the way. Like, it always Mm -hmm. jumps out at me. And Mr. Hockey, which sounds very sensual to me. I'm kind of excited (laughs) about that title. (laughs) But Leah has written many, many, many romance books. And we're kind of having her here today as an authority on romance to talk a bit about love triangles. Yeah, and we also know Leah from the podcast Afternoon of Delight, which is a K drama podcast in which that she co-hosts, in which they look at K dramas from a writer's lens. Uh, I, as if you've listened to any episode of our podcast, you know that I watch too many K dramas and have bullied Ayani into also watching too many K dramas. So. Yeah, yeah, you have. <laughs> <laughs> I forgive you, though, after all this time. Oh, I I maintain that it, it has improved your life, so. <laughs> I mean, I can't really disagree, but, but. But yeah, Leah, anything that you would like to add? <laughs> well, I am very excited. This is my first time getting to be um, a guest host on another podcast. So we are like a nascent group of, so we are writers, um, three friends who started writing kind of around like 2011, 2012, um, kind of debuted around 2014. And um, so myself and my co-host, Amy and Megan, um, you know, we were just going through kind of like the same COVID hell everyone was <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know got another writer friend um Chanel Clayton recommended Crash Landing on you to me knowing that I really like forbidden love tropes and so I checked it out on Netflix I was immediately hooked in and started like my K-drama obsession where I brought Amy and Megan into it because 
something I think I noticed as like someone who writes commercial fiction is I feel like K-dramas when like they're done well, they really are nailing tropes like nobody's business and Mm -hmm. they know what their audience wants. They're delivering at like a high level. (laughs) And so I just thought it became like really creatively fascinating, especially in something like romance where you already know, like the promise of romance in general is that you're going to get to a happy ending. So mm-hmm. how do you like get the, how do you keep a reader engaged when they know it's going to work out? Right. And so, mm-hmm. so yeah, I feel like that's kind of like the genesis of how we started where we were just mad texting about plots and stories and decided, you know, none of us are techie, but let's just give it a go and start doing podcasting. So in February of this year, you know, we launched after Nuna and it's just been a huge delight. And I think also what's been so fun has been like connecting to other people because in our own worlds, we have no one to talk to about this, <laughs> like in our day to day real lives. <laughs> so we've like been able to make lots of friends online. We've been able to make friends with like, yeah, other podcasts, folks like, you know, all of you. And it's just been like this really enriching thing. So I feel like I've been like creatively um, inspired. I hadn't been actively writing for a couple of years. Um, I also work in higher education doing experiential learning, which is not sexy, but fun. (laughs) And I also have a production company with my agent where we produce a range of books from romance to women's fiction to also um, more nonfiction um, Mm. through like big five uh, publishers and also audible. And so I definitely am always like busy on story and plot, even if I'm not actively writing. But again, I feel like that's where K-dramas can often be like a masterclass in tropes and commercial fiction. So we will drop a bunch of links about Leah in the show notes. So make sure you go and check out all of these different things that she's doing. But also, y'all just started this podcast in February? <laughs> yeah, we just jumped in, started recording, had no idea what we were doing. And um, yeah, <laughs> basically, that's that's like the exciting tale of that. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's just been super fun to, I think it's made us consistently have something to do at a time, especially mm. in like that spring period where like, everything was still pretty closed down where we could like Mm -hmm. have human connection. And then after Mm -hmm. that, it's just turned into something that I feel like is just a very vital part of my week (laughs) to be able to, yeah, connect with my co-hosts and really just get to like get into, you know, some of these stories that are bringing us so much joy. And honestly, that makes a lot of sense to me because I, Corinne and I started in August of the pandemic year one Mm. in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was definitely a way to kind of maintain connection while also talking about these things that we like and we care about, you know? So I totally vibe with that. And I totally understand that. But I'm also just really impressed with how, okay, so I hope this doesn't come off wrong, but how well everything is put together when saying that you three are not techie, right? Like, and the fact that this was just started in February, you all do fantastic work, so... Well, thank you. I think that um, I give a lot of credit to um, Amy, who, you know, if like anyone likes K-pop, like there's always a leader. And I would say that uh, Amy (laughs) kind of like we laugh that like Amy keeps us like on track. She was the one who originally like figured out how to do sound editing, trained us and definitely like gives us the frown when we start to go over Megan and I are like the (laughs) monkeys in the cages just like who will make our podcast go way too long I unplug my mic half the time laughing (laughs) so (laughs) I give a lot of credit but I do think yeah we all bring something to it and I think the fact that we all really genuinely have this like real found passion for this um, has made Mm -hmm. it be something that we really do put you know quite a lot of time in too. (laughs) 
Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. <laughs> so to get started, one of the things Corinne and I like to do is a little segment we call What's Sparking Joy? And with What's Sparking Joy, what we do is we share a piece of media, book, TV, song, video game that is bringing some joy to us in our lives because it's fun and because we like to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so to start, Corinne, what is Sparking Joy for you? So two things. First, I mentioned this the last episode we recorded, but I just finished the K-drama Happiness, which is a zombie K-drama that's like a romantic thriller kind of thing. And I do not like zombies at all. I very much dislike them. But I really, really liked the two lead actors. So I decided to check it out. And I'm really glad I did because they, I don't know, the pacing was great. The main relationship was great. They really, really nailed the ending. It was definitely a drama that I'm glad I watched, even though it's not my normal genre. Yeah, I've been hearing great things about it. Yeah, I was really, really impressed. Uh, also, I've been listening to the soundtrack, and the soundtrack is really fun. Um, <laughs> but then the other thing is another K-drama that I just started. It's called Secret Royal Inspector and Joy, and it is very goofy, but it's a historical K-drama, and it's about a secret royal inspector and a recently divorced woman in, like, the Joseon area in Korea. So it's like really interesting to have a divorced person <laughs> as like a main character. But it also, it stars uh, Taecyeon, uh, who was in Vincenzo recently, I think, mm -hmm. uh, as the secret royal inspector. And Kim Joy is played by Kim Kyeyun, who is the female lead from Extraordinary You, which is one of my very favorite Kray dramas. So she's the reason that I'm checking it out. And it's goofy, it's fun, but. She is always just very, very delightful to watch for me. Ayani, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. what a spark and joy for you. So I have started watching an anime on Netflix called Blue Period, which mm -hmm. is about a high school boy who discovers the love of art and decides that he's going to try to get into art school. And... It's got kind of a simple premise, but the way that they have all these different art pieces that they're displaying, different styles, he goes into like an oil painting cram school. So all of these other students, oh, yeah, wow. that's a thing. Oil painting <laughs> cram schools are a thing. Um, so he's working with all these different artists and all these other students, and they're talking about their passions and, you know, just the trials and tribulations of trying to get into art school and his family can't like afford a fancy art school. So he has to get a scholarship to this one school. And it's like art stressful, which I kind of appreciate, <laughs> but also like, <laughs> I think I've talked about this on other episodes, but I've kind of graduated to this point in my life where like, watching anime high schoolers I feel like they're auntie so when he's like struggling and studying for his test I'm like you got this baby keep studying and then like <laughs> when things go well for him I get really emotional and start crying and I'm like you did it sweetie you did it um so he just passed his like oh well uh, if it's a spoiler that's fine but he just passed a major exam and he like came into the episode like running through the door and he's like, I did it. And I was like, yes, you did. I'm so proud of you. So yeah, Blue Period is sparking a lot of joy. I'm <laughs> impassioned by this young person pursuing their love of art and missing my youth youthful joy of things. <laughs> 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 ah, so yeah, joy being sparked. Uh, Leah, what is sparking joy for you? 
So, um, well, one thing I just want to make a nod to is anime is like a new foray for me. My son <gasps> is very deeply into anime. And uh -oh. so, um, you know, he's a junior higher, but, um, you know, loves it. And he's been getting me to watch um, Attack on Titans. I think oh. it's Attack on Titan or Titans. I don't know if it's plural it's or singular. Singular okay. Titan. <laughs> I am very much enjoying it so far. It's super weird <laughs> and, yeah. um, and fun. And feels like a good amount of um apocalyptic wtf -ry to keep me interested so um so yeah we're kind of like watching that on the side of like all the other like things i do so um yeah so i will check this out and recommend it to him as well yeah and we we clearly are gonna have to talk after this episode because i'm gonna have to just give you recommendations okay so. sounds very good <laughs> so something that sparks joy for me is um we over uh the fall break like kind of like slash thanksgiving time um when schools were closed we drove up to seattle and i live in the central coast of california so it was a pretty big road trip and so i downloaded this book for my husband and i to listen to kind of up in the front of the van and it was called ghost empire by richard feidler and i'm actually not quite done with it but it is a nonfiction read and it's about the founding and growth of like Constantinople, now Istanbul. Oh, wow. And it's a really, I just, I think I was just shocked to know how little I knew about kind of like the fall of the Roman Empire and how things shifted very <laughs> significantly into Constantinople mm -hmm. fairly early on in the game. And just kind of like a lot of like the dramas that were happening you know, during that kind of like period of like 400 to like 900 was, I don't know, I guess I just hadn't really like spent a lot of time thinking about it. And as I've been listening to it, just lots of very like juicy tales of, you know, betrayal, incest, plague, you know, and um, mm -hmm. Richard Feidler actually um, is a Australian, he used to be, I think, like a punk band guy like in like the 80s hmm. maybe and he is now like a journalist and has a really amazing podcast that's called conversations with richard feidler and he's kind of like a like the fresh air except like maybe a little hipper <laughs> and so yeah it's kind of got that kind of a vibe to like the storytelling as well and so it's very accessible mm -hmm. it's kind of not like a it's not a dull tone. Like if I can't sleep, sometimes I listen to ancient history of the world <laughs> and like that can knock me out in like two seconds, whereas this is very captivating. So that's been bringing me a lot of joy of just kind of like, sometimes I go on nonfiction binges and I feel like this has kind of set me up for one. And then another thing, probably a little bit less like nerdy, but nerdy in a different way is I am wildly <laughs> excited that BTS has gotten onto Instagram. They finally have official <laughs> Instagram profiles and I don't know. I mean, I know they're real people and not characters. However, I really appreciate like the aesthetics each of them bring and kind of like how their personalities seem to like fit well with like their profiles. And I'm very endeared by like, BTS in general. Like I definitely feel like, I don't know. I mean, I maybe I'm self-identifying as ARMY at this point. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've just found it this week to be very fun watching like, you know, Jim post a picture of like a big steak and that's it. Or watching like V accidentally follow a member of Blackpink and like watch his world get destroyed in like five seconds as he's like, holy shit, what did I just do? And then like unfollowing her very quickly as everyone's like, why? What's the reason? And you're just like these poor people and like the life that they live. But it's just like kind of like an interesting like social media exercise to like see like some of the most famous people in the world trying to like 
B20 mid 20s on Instagram. So it's been, yeah, sparking some joy for me. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the first time an Instagram profile has sparked joy. (laughs) And I'm kind of here for it. Like, I really recommend it. They only follow each other. They only comment on each other's things. And I think the thing that really endears me is like, I feel like the heart of BTS is incredibly, um, they're just like so dorky in so many ways for being so cool Mm -hmm. and talented. And so I just really appreciate it. (laughs) Like, it's very, very endearing to me. That's deeply hilarious about one of them accidentally following a black pink person. <laughs> I know, like the, the pretty hot one. And then he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you only follow like a single digit number of people. If you follow someone else, like people are going to know. Everyone knows. Or like one would be like, you know, I'm drunk. I'm going to get off now because they're like in quarantine because they were touring like they had four shows in the US, not touring, but they had four shows. And then like a bunch of them have gone home and they're like stuck in 10 day quarantine. So one would be like, I'm drunk. I got to like get offline. And then like three minutes later, they're like, I'm back. I'm here. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God. I don't know. I find it really sweetly funny to watch like stuff that like it just makes me remember like being a very awkward like in my 20s even though I wasn't like worldwide famous (laughs) (laughs) and kind of like a blessing I don't think anyone needs to see my 20s blown up like that like no this is I am very thankful to self-identify as like a zennial like on that cusp of like the millennial gen x for me like social media really like hit its stride in my grad school but Mm. not my undergrad and for that I have like much thanks to like everyone no one needed to see that (laughs) I literally joined Facebook my first year of college yeah but this was like old Facebook before there were actually photographs so a lot of that like (laughs) bad freshman year behavior is lost to the annals however Sophomore and junior year might still be up there. So, like, uh, don't go look for it. <laughs> but, but oh, yeah. Well, that has brought back some memories and sparked some joy, I suppose. <laughs> but moving into our main kind of conversation for today, we have Leah on to talk with us about love triangles. So I think in some of our previous episodes, we've talked a bit about love triangles, how we've reacted to them, things we liked about them, things we didn't like. However, we thought it might be fun to have a deep dive to think specifically about how love triangles work, why we like love triangles, or love to hate them, or even like, why are love triangles a thing? Why is this something that we as viewers keep wanting, that storytellers keep telling, etc. So, yeah, to start thinking about it, what is a love triangle? What what does that expression mean? What is that phraseology? <laughs> so, I guess just definitionally, a triangle has three points, so it's three people, and I guess Stereotypically, I would think about it as one person having to make a choice between the other two, but Mm, that is mm -hmm. maybe not the only formation that exists in a love triangle because, like, the lines can go in different directions. I don't want to get too mathy because I don't remember math words anymore. But (laughs) I don't know what what do y'all think? Because I maybe should have written something down for this because I'm like, oh, everyone knows what a love triangle is, but also like maybe we don't necessarily. 
No, I think that that's like a very classic, like, you know, way to describe what a love triangle would be, would be, you know, there's potentially multiple love interests, I would say, Mm -hmm. is like a simple way to look at it, right? And then with that can come angst and conflict over like, who does one choose, competing, jealousy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's funny when you say you're forgetting your math terms, the term that jumps to mind for me is a love decathlon. And I know decathlon (laughs) is not a math term. (laughs) Isn't that like a a test? So the the way I've heard it used is kind of like when you have a story where there's one main character and then like a million love interests around them and everybody is like racing for this like center pillar of love. So the bachelor then. Yeah, like the bachelor or, or like harem stories and things like that. It just made me think of it because you said math words and decathlon (laughs) is not a math word. So I know even fewer than you, apparently. And I think that actually that's interesting because like that idea of like a harem trope where there's like multiple partners essentially for like one person. And I'd say that like the um, reverse harem has become quite popular in like self-published books recently. So like (laughs) one woman, many men, but that's, yeah, kind of like, it's a little bit different than the love triangle probably because I think love triangle also generally like implies a little bit more of that angst like Mm. inherent to the choices right because in like a reverse harem situation it's like the more the merrier whereas like love triangle is trying to like get to a partner I think maybe Mm -hmm. or not I mean not always but like I think a lot of times I'm trying to like think I mean I'm, I'm sure there's like exceptions to that but I think that's kind of like the nexus of like a lot of the conflict Okay. And like the joke that I always think of now when I think of love triangles in uh, the show Never Have I Ever uh, created by Mindy Kaling, one of the the main character, Davy's cousin, Kamala, is in like a quote unquote love triangle, but she's not really. So like when Davy's like, oh, you're like in a real life love triangle. She's like, I'm it's more of like a line and a dot. So (laughs) (laughs) that joke is always it's a it's funny, but also B, I think it's interesting. (laughs) To think about in terms of like who likes who and also like when we think of what makes a love triangle work mm. that you kind of need to have some kind of suspense because you you really just have a line and a dot then you don't have that angst necessarily that like makes to me a, a successful love triangle. Yeah, fair. So when you say successful love triangle, are there some like examples that jump out to you? But also I think successful is an interesting word to choose as well Mm -hmm. like what is success in a love triangle is it us feeling angst as well for like (laughs) what the characters are going through I mean so one of the things I think see I think if I am entertained by a love triangle and not annoyed by it I think is ultimately to me what makes it makes it successful but also like one aspect that maybe matters for for a love triangle is not knowing what choice Mm -hmm. the person making a choice Mm -hmm. is going to make and that could be a woman or a man Uh, we don't have to although I think I generally prefer love triangles with like a woman and two dudes I don't really like love Mm -hmm. triangles with a guy and two women because I don't know it just is annoying to me I don't can y'all think of any love triangles like that that are successful with yeah a man and two women no because I feel like then they lean into like those like ideas of kind of like catty women Mm -hmm. yeah and that's stuff that just I'm not into and so yeah I'll have to ponder that a bit to think if I can think of one that's been successful that way but 
so far, yeah, I feel like they just, they tend to just get kind of icky. So one of the ones I've seen people mention a lot that I don't know personally, but is actually from The Witcher. Um, so in The hmm. Witcher, in the game, there are two love interests that you can choose between. And apparently there's a lot of conversation about like what makes people want to make a decision between one or the other. And they're both kind of fully realized and interesting characters. And I'm wondering if now that The Witcher is being adapted, right? Mm-hmm. into a Netflix series. We've already met Yennefer, who is one of the points of that triangle, and we might meet another point, so to speak. So that's one that like jumps to mind to me, but I've never I haven't played the game personally because I think it would stress me out, but that's when I hear a lot of when people talk about love triangles. Um or not love triangles, but in thinking about games that one comes up a lot. But I don't I'd have to think about No, then another one one that I'm thinking that like this isn't so much pop culture, but it was like a Korean movie was um, one that is like, I think when you can like include like, you know, some queer sexuality in it, that can be interesting. Mm -hmm. So like I Mm -hmm. saw one, I think, I'm not sure, Karen, if you've seen The Frozen Flower. I haven't, no. Which is, um, yeah, it's like two men and a woman and a woman. And I don't think it like in the end felt as successful as I wanted it to be, but I did think that like it had like it was trying for an interesting premise. Mm-hmm. Well, and another one I'm thinking of, again, not to me successful, but <laughs> perhaps we're starting with unsuccessful. <laughs> that was the opposite of the question that I asked, <laughs> but okay. Well, to decide what something is, you have to decide what it isn't too. So book spoilers for Wheel of Time. I am enjoying, uh, should I not? Do that, Aani. Uh, uh, you told me not to try to remember things that you've said. <laughs> so this puts me okay. in an awkward position. So I will not give names, but in the Wheel of Time book series, and I feel like they're going a different direction in the show because they're making a lot more honestly, feminist decisions and how they're adapting things, which I am a fan of. But one male character has three female love interests and instead of choosing he just keeps all and marries all of them and that's so it's like it pretends to be a love triangle and ends up being kind of a harem type style yes (laughs) and and like i think that's the problem for me with like love triangles with a dude at the or love shapes with a dude at the center (laughs) is that like there is that like temptation to make it so he doesn't really have to make a choice. Mm. So it seems like then successful love triangles require some kind of choice to be made, perhaps, or at least there has to be play with the fact that there is a choice to be made? Question mm-hmm. mark? Yeah, I think there has to be some kind of angst in the decision making. And maybe like, I'm I'm fine with like things ending happily. And I prefer like the love triangles that I watch where the second male lead like still gets like, a happy ending of some kind but I think there does need to be some amount of angst and uncertainty that can then be resolved but it we need to go on that journey first interesting okay so love triangles are pain but it has to be satisfying (laughs) pain I think I'm learning it needs to be pain it definitely there's like an element I think for people who like love triangles a lot that you know We're just liking a little bit of masochism to our romance. (laughs) (laughs) So 
Leah, since we have you here as our expert, do you feel like in romance novels, love triangles function a little differently than they do broadly, like in a pop culture sense? That's a good question. And I think the answer is probably just that it depends. So I Hmm. think some are, you know, like more just like the traditional, like make a choice and move on. And that's kind of the end. But I think where a lot of romances tend to be different than something like, than let's say like a K-drama, for example, is that you tend to get a lot of like the second male lead who's unsuccessful is then the obvious sequel bait. Because I would say Mm. that especially for romantic fiction, serials are very, or um, series are very common. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, it's pretty normative that like, you're going to be like, okay, this is the person who was like unlucky in love in this dynamic. However, they're clearly going to then be like the hero set up for the next book. And then you get their story. So I feel like that's like a little bit of a different way that romance tends to handle um, love triangles. Not always, but that seems to be relatively common. That's really interesting. So it's almost like in a way the love triangles are, how do I want to put this? Not influenced by the materiality of the text, but kind of like, because K-dramas are often one season, right? you know there's that expectation of kind of finality so you expect something different perhaps from your love triangle versus like you hope there are going to be more romance novels in a series so that you you have a different investment in the characters maybe yeah for me especially when we're looking at like romance as opposed to maybe like literary fiction that might have a Mm -hmm. um or ya that might have like a different lens of how they handle it I would say that K-drama watching is more like living on the edge for me because I know there's <laughs> like it, it may be, th- and it's not uncommon for the second male lead to be left with like a bag of nothing. <laughs> and yeah, like, oh, it's so sad. It is. It's sad. And, and then I don't know. So something we've done in our podcast as a result of like dealing with this pain is we actually have done two, <laughs> two episodes. And I think it's just something we're going to do like once a quarter now, because like second male leads are like very commonplace in K-dramas are these poor men that end up with nothing, even though they're amazing is we do um, second male lead SOSs where, because we're writers, we then write them the happy ending that we think that they deserve, which ends up being, mm. I don't want to even like admit to how cathartic I find it. <laughs> I get so invested and then being able to like fanfic like them a happy ending like I honestly will like move to like being at peace with the situation in my own head (laughs) so I love that journey for you (laughs) it brings me so much peace because like not to get off on a tangent about fanfic but like I don't know I think there is kind of that almost fanfic value in a way that like if you feel a story hasn't worked there is the power to be like well, I can just write it and make it happy for me. And if no one else is happy with it, it doesn't matter because I have found my peace. <laughs> so I really like that. I really like that. So doing a chin rub, when we think about love triangles, what are some ones? I know we did a little bit of trying to, when we were thinking about which ones don't work, but um. And I don't, I don't want to zoom too quickly through our outline here, but I know there are a bunch of love triangles that we do want to talk about and do want to think about. So just throwing it to y'all, what are some love triangles that you really enjoyed, be it from popular culture more broadly, romance as a genre, or K-dramas? Because I know that's what you both really want to talk about, <laughs> is love triangles and K-dramas. <laughs> So, Corinne, I see that you, um, you know, had uh, 
put out there the I think probably one of the most like famous pop culture love triangles of kind of our generation, which would be uh, the Twilight franchise with yeah. Bella Edward and Jacob, which is a special place in my heart for just how batshit it truly went by the end of the series where the love triangle was like the nexus of the love triangle was Jacob was actually imprinted on an egg and Bella's uh, ovary. Don't get me started, Leah. Oh my God. And so that was why, like, I mean, I appreciate that triangle so much simply because how, like, I mean, it just it went so bonkers that I it's like lives in my heart as like one of my favorite things. <laughs> well, and it like you kind of can't talk about or think about love triangles without thinking about Twilight because and I was very into Twilight as like a middle schooler and then a high schooler. Judging so, like, you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, you can judge my middle school self, that's fine. <laughs> but like I feel like because it went so batshit crazy by the end there, A, it shaped how people respond like fans and fandom respond to love triangles by having like teams, like if you were mm-hmm. Team Edward or Team mm-hmm. Jacob. Mm-hmm. But then when it went off the rails, I think it soured a lot of people on love triangles maybe because like Mm. there are people like when they think of YA or romance novels that like have a romantic element are like oh it's a love triangle why is that and I feel like for my generation at least some of that stems from Twilight but then using that same team lens on like another big love triangle that came up was a cat that was cast Katniss, Peeta, and Gale in the Hunger Games even though I think those are different yeah i always thought that it was an interesting i felt like the hunger game ones always felt a little more forced to me because gail just never felt like as much of a player to me Mm -hmm. but he also wasn't imprinted on katniss's (laughs) (laughs) egg (laughs) so i mean like there was tension there and i liked it but i just don't think i ever like I didn't take the ball i felt like Peter was endgame so much that like Mm -hmm. for me personally i like even though I did quite like Gail. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it just always felt like we were going with the bread boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, well, so go ahead. Anne. Oh, no, I was just going to say that's interesting because um, there was an article that Corinne sent me when we were planning for this episode about like, what was it, like 10 love triangles that went well and 10 that didn't. It was like a BuzzFeed listicle thing where they just, yeah. mm-hmm. it was clickbait, but I clicked on it, so it worked. It did work and it's topical. So like- you had your reasons, but they were the the author was like very much for Gail and was like Gail should have been, you know, the choice in the decision. But apparently the comments blew up about that. We're like, mm, I'm not so sure about that author. And also I full disclosure, I've actually never read The Hunger Games. I've only seen the movies. Um, so judge me if you will. Um, <laughs> but once Gail was like, oh, uh, maybe I blew up your sister. I was like, well, you blew up your chances, buddy. Ain't no way <laughs> that she's going to get with you now that you killed her sister, even accidentally. So like, I don't know. I, I liked the bread boy. Yeah. I thought he was sweet. And they really did decisively take Gail out of the run. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, for me, one that I really enjoy, um, that's like probably it's very popular in young adult romance, but not maybe not at the level of, you know, Twilight or Hunger Games is uh, the Court series by Sarah J. Mass. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, the first two books of that series 
are very successful when it comes to a love triangle because I really appreciate the fact that she was really willing to go quite far with um, suitor number one before mm-hmm. realizing that that wasn't Endgame and mm. and yeah, I think that that was. I thought it was fun. I don't really love how the series has like gone, <laughs> but I thought books one and two were really like like if we're looking at what makes a successful love triangle being sheer entertainment value, one and two <laughs> are like highly entertaining for me, especially the fact that she does really invest you in the like the uh the second male lead basically as like the hero for all of book one. Well, and I find that series so interesting. I've only read the first three books. I haven't continued on because a lot of things have happened. But I find that series so interesting because the first book was really flat for me and how she developed Tamlin as the love interest. And I was like, okay, well, I have to read this for my research. So I guess I have to keep going. And then when I read the second book and and Farrah like changed her mind or not exactly changed her mind, but like decided she needed to do something else. I was like, oh, I get it. That's why all of the things that were not quite right with the first dude, like essentially having abusive tendencies weren't sitting right with me. And then you're like, oh, that actually was meant to be problematic instead of romantic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that that is actually something that I think is my own hesitations about Sarah J Mass's side is very interesting that she does set up that like your first love does not have to be your only love and like Ooh. you can choose one thing and then decide that that wasn't right and do and choose something else so I appreciate that as a narrative structure I do so. like it I feel like now though that's just like the shtick um yeah. and so that also <laughs> is like where I kind of give it like that's fine but when every like series basically seems to hinge on that premise then like you're kind of like okay <laughs> that's fair <laughs> And then, yeah, I also really love, like, going old school, like, the sense and sensibility idea where, like, you Mm -hmm. know, you've got, like, the, like, super romantic, sexy, like, obviously is going to, like, you know, love you all upright, Willoughby, and then, like, that responsible, boring on paper, even though, like, for me, I think he would go down like a champ, (laughs) Colonel Brandon. Because, yeah, he's, like, that slow burn that, like, once, like, he's finally got you, like, you're going to, like, enjoy what you've got. But, like, you know, on paper, not nearly as exciting. And um, and so, yeah, I kind of like some of the old school, you know, those, like, OG 19th century love triangles. Mm-hmm. Too. And that one's, like, you know, kind of a side note one. But I do, I've always liked that one. So to throw one in there, since we kind of started our episode talking about anime, one of my favorite that I often come back to is... um fruits basket and i think i've talked about fruits basket before in other episodes of ours but it's definitely a classic anime love triangle in which you're kind of playing with the blue oni red oni trope because you have one boy who's got red hair and he's fiery and he's got a little bit of a temper but he's means well and then the other boy who has silvery blue hair and he's more of your classic princey mm-hmm. type Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts out with you thinking, oh, it's going to be a tug of war between these two characters for the main heroine. But as you get to know the characters and it really evolves, it's interesting how it plays with our expectation of how the love triangle is supposed to work. Um, but I also like that everyone ends up happy at the end, you know, our I mean, this series is so old, so if I'm spoiling it for you, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) But the second male lead, I guess I won't say who it is, does find his happiness in a way. 
and it's it's one of those shows where a lot of it almost feels like everybody is paired off at the end and some of the pairs make me raise my eyebrow and that's a conversation for another day but I know that's one that comes back to me all the time and it makes me think of it, it jumped out to me Corinne when you started talking about like the teams kind of a thing because it mm-hmm. was definitely like oh are you are you a Yuki are you team Yuki or are you team Kyo um and I was always team Kyo because he was fiery and had red hair and turned into a cat. So, um. and I think it's fun because I think like there seems to be like a real attraction for like, yeah, finding like self identifying and doing kind of like personality profiles or people get into horoscopes and like all these ideas of like who you are and how you show up. So, having mm-hmm. these teams mm-hmm. that you can kind of be a part of just like makes so much sense to me too. Well, and it's also interest- so interesting thinking about these older texts and older kinds of love triangles so Mm. long ago when I was applying to grad school for the first time in a paper that will never again see the light of day uh, (laughs) I was comparing love triangles from like popular 1700s novels to love triangle the love triangles in the Hunger Games and Twilight basically Uh, and this in the older ones and I think in the newer ones there is this like following your head versus following your heart dilemma over like Mm -hmm. which choice you should make but there was well, the argument I was making, I think the two texts I looked at were the Coquette and Charlotte Temple, but I think maybe also like Clarissa by Samuel Richardson might fall into fall into this pattern. The woman would have like the safe option that her family like recommended and would have been way better. So that would be like your Colonel Brandon in Sense and Sensibility. But then she would follow her heart and like choose the guy who basically ended up being a rake and most of the time she would then die (laughs) so it's like there's a war a clear warning (laughs) yes (laughs) but like in like the more recent texts it seemed like the argument being made if it and maybe it they would have they would say they aren't making an argument but when we do have these patterns i think it's still interesting about like you should follow your heart and like and don't listen to your head like it doesn't matter if they have money or like whatever like you should choose the person that you love and I think that kind of shift in prioritization is interesting over like what Mm. matters in a partner I think that is really interesting and then it also makes me think then what do we say about something like and I guess this is a love triangle but the book like I believe it was like the 90s that it came out. But remember Bridges of Madison County? I'm just remembering this where like the whole idea was like the like mother, like the undersexed housewife who has like a photographer show up at her doorstep and like gets like the loving of her life for like a week and then decides though like her duties with like family and the off he goes on his way. And that was like, you know, it is, but it's kind of a love triangle, but then she ends up rejecting. Like it, it, there's like that old, she doesn't die, but she's like, no, I have to like continue to just like, what I, I mean, I don't remember it that much. It was like, kind of like, you know, my mom's generation, but I remember mm-hmm. that being like a very popular thing for like, at one point that was like, you know, kind of like the Oprah book club kind of thing. And like probably the mid nineties, I'm guessing. And what does that mean then too of like, <laughs> It's interesting because it's almost like a little bit of an escapist kind of fantasy. You know, it's like, oh, I am a housewife with my drudges and my my (laughs) druthers and my husband and my children. Oh, hot photographer, I see. (laughs) Like, you know, it's just... But then you're not going to throw it all in the garbage. You just had enough, apparently, that, like, just, like, took the edge off of, like, your, like, drudgery. And then, like, (laughs) I guess Godspeed to you. And that's all we can hope for. (laughs) I mean, you kind of have that in, like into the woods the musical where like the baker's wife decides to have like the fling with the prince 
and then dies for it basically because she gets killed by the giant so there's like a tradition of punishing women Mm -hmm. for like it's like once they've made a choice they are supposed to stick with it like especially if they've like chosen domesticity basically if they choose something else even briefly they may have to pay a high cost i don't know I think it, it also depends a little bit on genre and genre expectations. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. romance or love triangles probably function differently in romance novels uh, or even in K dramas versus like I don't know high tragedy. Yeah, that's fair. Or like women's fiction, like yeah, some of like the Nicholas Sparks like melodramatic mm-hmm. kind of yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, and then pivoting to maybe K drama, I think that's where it can get really fun. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Because it seems to be one of the most popular um, popular tropes, I would say. Like, I would put it in, like, the top five of what you could expect if you were trying a K-drama. Like, it's, mm. not, it's not hard to come across a love triangle set up. Mm-hmm. It's funny, because I think my first K-drama was also Chloe. Right, Corinne? Was it Chloe? I'm pretty sure it was Chloe, yeah. Yeah, which is, like one without oh no no it, it starts with the love triangle but then they take it somewhere different with alberto yeah oh yeah <laughs> alberto who um but it is one that i think like the love triangle is not as important you know what i mean yeah there's as- a, the, there's a love triangle but sadie's choice isn't really uh-huh. Huh. sadie's choice uh-huh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like her choice isn't really the the important thing isn't her choice between Captain Ree and Alberto. It's between her, her narrative thing is like, how do I get the fuck out of North Korea? That's the important thing. <laughs> While keeping my, <laughs> you know, my hooks in this like very sexy captain. Who is, <laughs> it's much more of a forbidden love for her. Basically, I feel like the like, it was like a fake out love triangle that went into more mm-hmm. of a traditional B romance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, well, and I think that's a, Maybe I I really like those where they set up a love triangle, but then sort of get the second male lead out of the way pretty quickly. And then he gets his own story and then often does end up in the B couple because like you start out with a little bit of suspense in like what exactly is going to happen, even though like most of the time, you know, what choice, who's going to end up being the main couple, if only from like the more famous actor playing that person yeah basically <laughs> that <laughs> that's usually a pretty good uh a pretty good clue although I do say that there have been times where I really haven't known mm-hmm. and I feel like that's probably my favorite and so I guess it's no surprise that like seeing that I love that that my two probably all-time favorite k-dramas both are kind of like the like I you I really just didn't know what was gonna happen and mm-hmm. that was Mr. Sunshine and then Reply 1988 um, and Mr. Sunshine, I would say, isn't even a love triangle. It's like a love pentagram. Because oh, those are so good. <laughs> there's like five leads. And like really, yeah, I would say that. Um, have either of you seen Mr. Sunshine? That's on my list. I keep not watching it because I also hear when people watch it, they cry a lot. And oh, I haven't yeah. had the tears to spare. <laughs> so I think without getting into like some big spoilers, um, while revealing that there is a love pentagram, but I think that's like fairly clear as you begin to yeah. watch how it's set up. Um, it is a selling point. It's that um, the main female lead, I think you can really look at her as like a metaphor for um, for like Joseon or Korea as a whole. Mm. And then the love of like 
male leads in it are kind of like how they're also grappling with like their connection to homeland in like some Mm. way but like it's like reflected I would say like metaphorically through like their love and like conflict that they have in their loves to some degree for the main female lead so it's kind of an interesting one and it is very I mean yeah it's it's highly emotional um but I do think it's really good the only caveat I will say to that drama is that there is a lot of just staring <laughs> like they could have done with like 90 percent less just standing there and staring and really like we probably could have like saved like two episodes out of it but that's like a minor quibble for me and it's also a slow start where like for the first like i think that's one you really need to sit in for and it's kind of mm. long i think it's like 22 episodes so oh wow i'd say by like episode five you're really cooking with gas but there's like a slow i mean it's interesting at the beginning because there's a lot of like historical things where i don't think in the u.s we do a particularly good job of seeing kind of like where some of our like colonial past came to play in different parts of the world Mm, (laughs) so i learned a lot about like you know kind of like where america was at with you know the joseon dynasty kind of in the late 19th century and things like that but like yeah it's a slow build in and then you kind of start like kicking through um you know like the more external conflict Mm mm-hmm so what was the other uh, K-drama love triangle you really liked, Leah? Okay, so Reply 1988 at this point, like, <laughs> yeah, I really, like, I feel like they're tied for my two top dramas. Um, and mm-hmm. Reply 1988, I don't want to get into too many spoilers because I think the uncertainty of the choice is, like, a large part of the enjoyment of watching it. But mm-hmm. um, you're kind of, you know, it's got, like, that nostalgic element of, you know, these are, it's kind of, like, upper YA like you're kind of hitting these students right as like they're leaving high school and kind of beginning their college careers. Oh, also context for people who don't know, Reply 1988 is a drama set in starting in 1988 that follows this this neighborhood and essentially a a huge cast of characters, but five main ones. So four dudes and a girl who, as they grow up and one of the one of the central conflicts, I don't feel like it's hyped as much as it is in Reply 1994, but is that you see she marries one of them, but you don't know which one. Yeah. Uh, and so there were a series of these um, like kind of like nostalgic heavy shows. So there was the Reply 1997, mm-hmm. 94, and then 90 or 88. And mm-hmm. I feel like 88 learned its lessons. It came last. Yes. So I feel like mm-hmm. it's the best because they do like to have it be a surprise in these shows of like who do, who who's the main couple and how did they kind of end up together? I feel like that was kind of like a common thing through all of them, but 88, I think felt the most successful because Mm. beyond it, just being a choice, I felt like they were all fully realized characters kind of like living Mm -hmm. their lives and having like their own arcs and emotional conflicts outside the relationships as well. So the love Mm -hmm. triangle Mm -hmm. was still like a conflict point in the middle of the whole story. However, they all had like their own, agency and their own stuff going on outside of that romance mm-hmm. I agree. but it does have a love triangle that it does it's very painful <laughs> and I think for me it speaks probably on a personal level so I'm doing a rewatch of it right now um oh. with a couple of listeners because we're going to be doing um a pod uh at the beginning of the new year that's going to be um rewatching a favorite drama and then applying some principles from a book on universal fantasy to it. And so kind of like what makes like, you know, like what makes some of these dramas like such classics is like a kind of appeal to these like universal fantasies that many people have. But something that 
as I'm doing this rewatch that I'm really realizing like hits me strong is that I was probably the high school student who, when I was madly in love with someone and like all in my feelings, the way I would show it is to do absolutely nothing, not look at them, not speak to them. I was thinking about like how there was a boy I liked so much in 10th grade and he actually wrote me a letter and put it in my locker that was like, let's hang out. And I took the letter and I folded it up. And I put it in my backpack and never, ever did anything or talk to him. And that was, how, and I, mean, I was in, like, you could look at my journal and I'm like trash for him, but I just could not like get it together. And so I feel like it delves into some of that too, of like, what happens if like you miss your timing and maybe like it could have worked out great, but you just like really mm-hmm. just didn't have the maturity or like the ability to kind of rally yourself to like, you know to be, make those more adult choices. So I don't know, right now it's really got me in those places. I'm just like, oh, this feels very relatable. <laughs> so something I will say about Reply 1988, and perhaps we can also use this to transition into talking about second male leads and second male lead syndrome, is I very often have second male lead syndrome. and she that does. I It's chronic. And that I almost always prefer the second male lead to whoever Chica ends up picking. And... <laughs> And a lot of that is because I generally prefer like more betas. I prefer like night like nice guys, not like the like bad nice guy, but guys who are legitimately <laughs> nice and kind and like respond generally pretty well to getting rejected. But in reply nineteen eighty eight, I like really liked the guy who was not those things. And I was like, oh, I finally don't have second male lead syndrome. And I was 100% wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had, I was very surprised at the, this time, watching it, rewatching it, I really can see how choices were made that like, I was very surprised where the um, drama went when Mm -hmm. I watched it the first time. I just had no idea it was going where it did. And I was shook at first and not happy and then kind of settled into it and was like, okay, this works for me. But now watching it this second time with that lens, I feel like I'm seeing some of the subtleties like laid out a little bit more clearly. And the other thing, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, um, but the second male lead in Reply 1988, they almost killed off. It was actually written to kill that character off. Oh my goodness. I would have been so upset. It would have ended. (laughs) I I would not have been able to to cope they were going to have i yeah they were going to have that character die and at the end of the drama you can actually see there's like some very kind of like weird vibe scenes where they kind of explain it as his mom is going through menopause but she's very downcast and there's just kind of like a strange tonal shift in their family and apparently those were scenes where he was supposed to be dead but it played so poorly to audiences that they had to be like no just kidding he didn't die the mom just had like (laughs) menopause (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's fucking hilarious i know it's like, like it's menopause of all the things <laughs> right like oh yeah menopause makes you feel like people have died sure yeah and she would just sit around and be like my cycle has ended and then like she'd just sit in like a darkened room like alone for like the day and you were like wow she really like feels that well, I guess that makes more sense now, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, if they had killed him, I would have, I couldn't have handled it. Oh my God. When I, if there comes a time that I am lucky enough to go through menopause, I'm going to sit quietly and look at my spouse and be like, my cycle has ended. Because he loves Reply 1988, so he better get it. But like... <laughs> Yeah, oh, just have like boy. a shaft of light falling artfully over your face. 
I'll, I'll hold a flashlight above my head. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my goodness. That would have been a very different direction for that drama to go. It is. And oh, you can wow. see how it's set up very like, like basically he sacrificed himself in like a training exercise because you know all like all men in korea go into the military so -hmm. it was going to be i like read all about like what it was and it was going to be like a training exercise had gone wrong and they made a choice to sacrifice themselves to like save others and died wow (laughs) so thank god thank god because like i can handle like tragedy i mean i like mr sunshine i'm a glutton for tragedy but i couldn't Mm -hmm. have handled that level that would have just not worked for me at all so I know you said kind of leading into second male leads, which I think we talked a little bit about here with your syndrome, Corinne, but it, it, it makes me, it's, it's a sickness. She can't, she can't get over it. Um, but this actually makes me think of, like, we talked a little bit about love triangles gone wrong, but like maybe thinking about love triangles that we hate because if they would have killed him, then this would not be a love triangle that you found successful. This would be one that would have tipped into the, oh, I can't stand this territory. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some other triangles that like did not work for you? We talked a little bit in the beginning, but like specific references. So for me, one that I truly cannot stand that made me so annoyed. So to as a caveat to my second male lead syndrome, A lot of the time, even though I prefer the second male lead, I narratively understand why the female lead goes with the first male lead. Like, it makes sense Mm -hmm, to me. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She's got to do that. It's fine. Even if I think he's less interesting or less cute or whatever. But when I think she is making the wrong choice because he treated her badly or because it just doesn't make sense to me, then I get very angry. And one drama where that happened is True Beauty, which is a drama that adapted a webtoon. And so mad. I was talking to Minji, who was on our Chloe episode, about her favorite and least favorite love triangles. And she, like, also brought up True Beauty as the one that she hates because it, it has that classic, like, this guy who treats you fine for a while, but then treats you terribly and then just shows up again and is like, and now we, sh- we shall start again as if nothing has happened. And it's like, no, dude, you ghosted her for like many years. And that is not acceptable. <laughs> I am so fascinated by this because, okay, I have a daughter who's in middle school and she's watched K-drama to a point and True Beauty is like her favorite show oh, God. and she's been like <laughs> you need to watch this drama mom like you just have to watch it and now i'm like very curious to be like what like toxicity is resonating with my like tweenager <laughs> so i mean well one i think it plays with like that first love trope that might be lovely for a, a tweenager um which is a great term by the way thumbs up to that one <laughs> but also i just i get annoyed with high school kind of antics sometimes and there were a lot of i can't talk about my feelings because i'm a moody high schooler like vibes to true beauty and i just i I can't do it anymore Mm -hmm. but also the second male lead han so jun was just such a cutie he was again showing my proclivities but he was like you know the bad boy with the heart of gold who's not really that bad he's like a mama's boy and all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but he was just to me more fun more interesting and more genuine with the heroine um and kind of open about what he's feeling and what he's going through 
and the fact that the decision was made between this guy who's honest and open and kind, et cetera. And, and then consistent. Dude- like he'd been consistent, there for yes. her without expectation of anything for like, again, many years. <laughs> well, this other guy was just gone. Was Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, you've piqued my interest now. <laughs> I might have to, because I've been kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. And now I'm like, hmm, we might need to have some like mother-daughter talk conversations <laughs> over this. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it is we did really really enjoy it especially at the beginning because it was very campy and playing mm-hmm. with a lot of tropes and it's also by uh the I guess director of another K-drama that we really really like called Extraordinary You which you should yeah. encourage your daughter to watch if she hasn't because that one is like that's that one's one of my top 3 I think. Okay. Yeah and and also the K-drama not the K-drama the um the webtoon goes differently, apparently. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's tricky. So, you know, and we we have a an episode about true beauty in which we talk about our feelings in, in some other regards. But yeah, it, it was interesting. We really liked it in the beginning, and it kind of took some turns that we weren't wild about. Gotcha. Have you, yeah. any of you seen She Was Pretty? I haven't. I, like, read some our show descriptions for that and was troubled by them so i have not watched a very that was probably like a love triangle that didn't like one where like legitimately i was pissed when i finished it (laughs) (laughs) and like yeah still get angry when i think about it but um basically like the idea was like you know a young girl who'd been like beautiful and smart and wealthy kind of has become like a bit of a loser but essentially all they did is give her like curly hair and red cheeks um and <laughs> don't she, get me started on that yeah, yeah yeah and then she had a best friend but we get into like some fat shaming because her best friend who grows up to be um you know sexy he's played by park sejun oh. um so park sejun is clearly you know like lovely but you uh-huh. know when he was younger apparently he was overweight which you know hor- horrifyingly idea apparently <laughs> and oh, <no>. so um <laughs> he has grown up to be attractive so they try to spin it like now he has grown up to be attractive she's grown up to be less attractive and somehow he doesn't recognize her with her curly hair and red cheeks (laughs) and so she has her super beautiful best friend pretend to be her and date him because she just can't like handle the fact that like she feels like such a flop and then meanwhile, the second male lead is this like amazing writer who's actually a secret, like famous novelist who's like just um it's the actor's choice won who was in Super Junior, so he's like a K-pop idol, he's super cute. And he like falls for her even when she looks kind of like not apparently like classically beautiful, and has this like really amazing relationship, but like apparently when you have first love. <laughs> nothing can Ugh. overcome the power of first love in a k-drama so he's like kicked to the curb for no reason because he's like i love you as you are right now as a fully actualized like woman and human as you are in this moment not like the other guy who like liked your hot best friend <laughs> and like once you had a glow up likes you now too i'm just annoyed listening to you talk about this yeah. So I'm gonna, I wrote it down, but I'm gonna cross it off. I would say to watch it just because the second male lead is so good. Like his character mm. is great. And I've just, I don't think I've seen a drama do another character as dirty as I feel like they do him. Mm. And he has facial hair, which is unusual in a K-romance too. Like, I feel like 
Oh, yeah. Clean shaven seems to be like the standard, whereas they give him like a little bit of like that, like five o'clock shadow and like a mm -hmm. like a knit beanie. And he's just kind of like a bit of a hipster. And it just really works. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think it's because they're really into like, you know, flower boys that are really, really pretty as yeah. like the romantic ideal. And you maybe get a little bit more facial hair in the historicals, but not ton and never with the love interest though it's yeah, just like not everyone, with the love else, everyone else has the the wispy facial hair love interest <laughs> always clean shaven <laughs> but so thinking of something just some through lines and the things that we don't like in the first male lead it seems like we don't like i mean basically abuse <laughs> <laughs> not to put too strong a term on it but like if someone if someone is nice to you and not nice to anyone else that is maybe not romantic and not something that we should go after but that does lead me to my next question which is what happens when the second male lead is the villain because i must admit that i deeply enjoy that as a narrative <laughs> setup is is there an example cuz i mean i don't know i like a little villain love i i support it but also, <laughs> also in, in narrative, not necessarily in real life. Um, but are there examples that you're like thinking of? The two that I really enjoyed where the second male lead was like not what was also was both the second male lead and the bad guy uh, were Queen for Seven Days and Tale of Noctu. And they're both historicals. And in one of them, the in Queen for Seven Days, the second male lead is like the sociopathic king and his little brother is like a prince who is trying to overthrow him but it's so interesting because he does legitimately love and care about uh, the female lead I can't remember her name even though like but he's so dangerous but it's so interesting to watch their interactions knowing that I think maybe the reason I can watch it and enjoy it is I know that he's not going to win or if he wins then it will not be framed as a happy ending so i can mm. appreciate the complexity of his character and the complexity of their interactions especially as she like grows up and realizes that this man who she's always thought of as like a big brother who has like always looked out for her has in fact been really terrible to and for a lot of other people so seeing her mm. figure that out is really interesting to me I do love those, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, thinking about genre, because they are historicals, there is, like, a sense of remove from the present. So I am I feel like I'm more comfortable playing with and seeing, like, different kinds of villainy play out in the second male lead and their relationship with the female lead when there is, like, the thing that is evil about that, like, you don't have... Well, I don't know. You largely don't have evil kings and like contemporary romances. So, like, it just the stakes are different, and there is a sense of remove from the present. So, you're not necessarily idealizing beheading a lot of people by being like, but also like it's a little bit sexy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you watched Mr. Queen, either of you? Oh, we love, we Mr. love Queen. Mr. Queen. <laughs> okay, so Mr. Queen, remember um, the sad cousin, Byung In, played by yeah. Byung In Woo? I feel like he kind of, I mean, because I don't know if I'd say he went full villain. He flirted with villainy mm -hmm. and was became the hottest corpse I've literally ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's also interesting thinking about 
if the second male lead starts out as a villain or turns villain because of like being turned down or like not getting the girl because i think that's that's also a different setup yeah yeah i mm, that's different that just seems like men behaving badly then rather than like (laughs) but i feel like he did that but then they also gave him the noble sacrifice to then Mm, kind of like save his character Mm -hmm. at the very Mm -hmm. end where like then like he he like he had to die to like earn back like the bad things he'd done but he does and he saves the day that he does so hot doing it (laughs) (laughs) how mr queen is so good (laughs) I, i loved that show I'm not the only one who likes villains, though, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, um, like, when we get into, like, you know, for young adult, like, you know, the whole Grisha stuff, I am, mm-hmm. I'm very problematically Team Darkling. <laughs> <laughs> Even, like, before the, like, show was cast, like, I felt like that's why the Sarah J. Mass court stuff got me was because I felt like Resander, like the dark fairy mm-hmm. lord, kind of gave me where I wanted Darkling to get to, which uh-huh. was you know i don't know i guess that you know in real life you know i don't want the tortured emo engaging in casual murder guy but i'm not gonna kick that out of bed in my romance like my fantasy (laughs) no you know i i get that like i remember i'm kylo ren trash oh i was gonna say after watching (laughs) the first what is it the force awakens i was like oh Hello, evil <laughs> man. Yeah, but it, we've we've had quite a few conversations about oh, what is that man's name? Adam, Adam Driver. Driver. We've had quite a few conversations about Adam Driver and that picture where he lifts up the sheep just does it for me. So like it was like Adam Driver lifting the sheep and Kylo Ren. I was like, yeah, okay, I can see the appeals of the dark I side. I see this, the lifting the sheet. Oh my oh, god! I'll send it oh to my you. god! I'll no, I just found it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just found this, <laughs> and I like that it's under hashtag Lady Boners. When I looked it up, <laughs> there you go. Amazing. I, I just remember being like, um, I want to be lifted like a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Please and thank you. I like them. I like them strong. But um, <clears throat> my proclivities aside, um, so I think I think we all like a little bit of villainy in our storytelling, but not in not in our real lives. So just just as a note, because I know we're we're gonna be rounding this up. A lot of these love triangles that we've been talking about are definitely very very heterosexual yes right Mm -hmm. and i do think it's always interesting to think about how queer love triangles can work or change our expectations of how a love triangle can work but it Mm -hmm. seems like you need the angst right i feel like as long as there's a good bit of angst and a good bit of pain um (laughs) then i mean i'm going by the definition we laid out this is our working definition (laughs) if we've if we've got some good angst and we've got some good pain then uh, I guess queering love triangles can can work and be interesting in the same way that straight ones can, even if you play around with who's getting with who and how all that works and fits together. Do we have any like examples of queer love triangles that jump to mind for us? I know there were a couple that we talked about on the episode of Vox Pop that we were on, which I'll throw in the show notes. One that comes to mind for me that is not a K drama, but um, I en- I really loved Orange Is the New Black. 
Mm-hmm. And I felt like they kind of did set up at the beginning that, you know, you saw Piper with Larry, like Jason Biggs, like <laughs> Jason Biggs. And like, obviously he was an end game, but like, I liked, you know, obviously I loved Alex in Orange is the New Black um, a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I kind of, that was, I think one that, that just like jumped to my mind immediately as something that I really enjoyed that their story, as much as I never loved Piper's story, I always liked Alex and I liked what they did with mm. Larry. I also so another one that I think of is in the Serafina books by Rachel Hartman and I do a lot more work mm. with Tess of the Road but at the end of the Serafina books I guess this is a spoiler for those books but not really because it's mostly about the dragon stuff but Serafina stuff <laughs> Serafina likes the prince consort or who ends up being the prince consort, but the queen and ends up liking Serafina. So she ends up being in a polyamorous relationship with both of them. <laughs> That's how you get your richest girl. Yes. <laughs> King and queen. Well, and it's super interesting because like it ends on this like, oh, maybe I don't have to choose note at the end of the first duology. And then in Tess of the Road, which is from the point of view of another character, but you see Serafina a little bit, you sort of see from the outside how it works in practice. And like Serafina has a baby that then they pass off as the queen's baby, even though it's like the prince concert. It's very interesting and also very surprising to have in a YA novel I think <laughs> but I liked it I was surprised by it I think the angst came from her thinking she had to decide and also you know from having to defeat the villain and everyone but <laughs> then the decision ended up being not the one she thought she would have to make so yeah I think it's interesting then that the angst is tied to decision making but we can play around with how that actually works in ways that are satisfying mm-hmm mm-hmm and I know my um, co-host Megan just watched a, sh- a K-drama short because most of like the um, the boy love, which is what they call mm-hmm. most of like the gay um, K-dramas, they're they're usually really short, like eight episodes or something. And they like end mm. up having like 11 minute run times. Um, but one that she just watched that I think had like a bit of a triangle aspect and it was called The Tasty Florida. And I know that she really okay. enjoyed it. And the name comes from like... Um, there was like a, a restaurant with the name Flor- like a Chinese restaurant with the name Florida in it. And I think it's like, from what she was saying, it was like, you know, somebody that like works in the restaurant and then like, you know, different staff and friends, like all competing for like the same guy <laughs> in the restaurant. So it sounds like a fun mm-hmm. one and short. It does sound fun. <laughs> I appreciate something that doesn't take 20 hours of my life. Yeah. Right? Something that you can jump in for a night. The the boy loves that I've watched have always been like a fun, just like one night, maybe two tops, like, pal- like, you know, I just feel like kind of palate cleansers in between these long, like, you know, 16 to 22 episodes, <laughs> like behemoths. <laughs> so to kind of wrap up our conversation with one last question, broadening out from kind of just our personal feelings on love triangles, what are some of the effects maybe of love triangles on fandom? I know we talked a little bit about like the team angle of things, like team uh I was going to say team Bella. I guess nobody was really team Bella. <laughs> she she, she should have had her own team. But team Jacob or t- Oh my god, why am I forgetting names? I was like team Jacob or team Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been a whole other spoon. The sparkly vampire Kevin. <laughs> Jacob, 
Jacob and Edward. Those teams. <laughs> or otherwise, I mean, I think I'm team Kevin now. I think I have to be. But, you know, as kind of a way to wrap up, what are some thoughts about how how love triangles play into fandom? I mean, so the first thing I think of when thinking about that is like... <laughs> It can result in some really contentious divides. So thinking about like the K-drama startup and also the K-drama Reply 1994, people like had some real big feelings about (laughs) about like who (laughs) should get the girl and like so much so that like they might hate you if you disagree with them (laughs) or at least say they do on the internet. So that's (laughs) interesting when it comes to sort of like I don't know. It it also drums up buzz for a show, though. If people mm-hmm, are like that mm-hmm. invested in what's happening, then like they're more likely to talk about it, and that might make people more interested in it, and then like want to watch it. Although I will also say, I the buzz around startup was so heated that it made me not watch it for a year because it was too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, startup. We did a startup podcast. Um, maybe about a month and a half ago. And when um, it was like, we shared on Twitter that like, that was one of our upcoming ones. The reaction I've never, like, I, we had people writing to us saying that they were praying for us. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Like we hope you stay safe. I was like, are you kidding me? Like this is, and I, I already watched the drama at that point. I'm like, I understand there were big feelings, but for me, that one in particular was interesting because I was like, the main heroine for me was just never very compelling. And so I was just like, look, how is there this much fuss over who gets this girl? Like, she's fine. But like, I feel like she was very much like a Mary Sue type character. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, look, if like you're if you had second male lead syndrome on this, just like save them for yourself, really. (laughs) (laughs) The power of fanfic strikes again. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So maybe maybe as a way to wrap up, we could (laughs) all name a favorite love triangle that we perhaps haven't mentioned yet that people should go check out in a show. Great. So I guess since I asked the question, I'll answer it first. So you have time to think. But Mm -hmm. the one that. I haven't really talked about a ton, even though I mentioned the show, uh, is Extraordinary You, uh, which I really, really love because it has kind of two love triangles at play. Mm. So the main character of the drama is she learns about herself, a character in a comic, (laughs) and she is also not, it turns out, the main character of the comic. (laughs) So then in this drama, we have the it's playing with the main love triangle of the comic but also the love triangle of her name is undano and like her figuring out like what her life is within and without within and outside the bounds of this narrative that she exists for um and that is another one where i find her love triangle very interesting because the second male lead is kind of a bad guy but also kind of not so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that is I think one of my very favorite love triangles and one of my very favorite dramas so I have two that I would touch on um that I think are like and they're both (laughs) k-dramas surprise surprise (laughs) um but one that I think that I really liked is her private life which centers I love that one the premise of uh yeah like um you know kind of a mid 30 something um like art curator who has a 
private life fanning out for k-pop and like one boy band in particular and (laughs) and so what i like about it is it's like a relationship between like kind of like her like cold boss and i do kind of like a cold boss office romance um with a with a with a character who i felt like was like incredibly non-toxic and supportive and i really enjoyed the hero but then she also has kind of like an adoptive brother who becomes the second male lead and he was just a fantastic character that definitely didn't give me I didn't have second male lead syndrome like uh, my co-host Megan did, for example, with him. But I thought that it was like a very well done story of like why he would authentically have feelings for her. And then it left enough of a door open where I felt like he was on like a journey to like the next thing. And that felt okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one that I felt like in both of these I liked because in the I felt like the second male leads get a happy ending. So I guess that's important to me and really liking it was I'm not a robot. Have you seen I'm not a robot? Yes, I watched that. I think when y'all were talking about it on social media, maybe I okay, really so, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I loved it. And it's basically like she had kind of like a toxic relationship with like a genius scientist who when they broke up created a robot in her image, which is also very problematic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's the second Melly. But he actually kind of goes on this big journey throughout the drama of like realizing all the things he'd done wrong in his relationship and then gets the chance to like course correct and have like a new healthy relationship start by the end of the story. And I thought it was really positive and great. And they like stayed friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both both good suggestions. I liked those a lot. <laughs> So I need to go in a different direction. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But the one I'm going to say is a webcomic or a webtoon that I've been reading called Let's Play, which is kind of a a play on the love triangle in that we have our main character, Sam, and there are three gentlemen who are set up as potential love interests. Mm. And we know that they're all being set up as love interests in different ways. But the story is kind of working through them not chronologically but like she's it's it's made to make you think certain characters are your otp right or your one true pairing in the sense of the show or in the in the sense of the comic so it's not that they're all actively going after her at the same time but it's going to be her kind of working through these different relationships Mm -hmm. and right now she is in a relationship with this welsh blonde man um (laughs) who they are exploring and working through things and it is very very sexy but the question becomes is he endgame or is endgame the other gentleman that she hasn't had a relationship with yet so it's kind of kind of interesting thinking about i guess a time delayed love triangle if that makes sense because a lot of Mm -hmm. it is our speculation and conjecture but also seeing how she interacts with these guys and how that plays around with who we think she'll end up with. So let's play. That's the one I'll go with. Leah, thank you so much yeah. for hanging out with us on our episode today. This was so much fun. I don't know if this was supposed to be a La Petite, but if it was, LOL, we made a really long episode again. <laughs> that was supposed to be a La Petite. Ah. It happens. It's always surprising when you think it's something. But yeah, I feel like... Yeah, when it comes to love triangles, I feel like, yeah, we could just keep going, honestly. <laughs> Forever. The whole show about love triangles from now on. But um, Leah, where can the people find you? Yes, thank you. So you can um, first and foremost find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So that could be Apple, Spotify, literally, I guess, anywhere. I think we're on Amazon and 
all the other places. And that's after Nuna Delight podcast. So that's just a play on the idea of Nuna, like the older woman. So after Nuna Delight, <laughs> we are on Instagram. We have a website that you can go to and check out. Um, we have a Redbubble store where we do merch. We have a Patreon. Um, we're on Twitter. Um, and I'd say like, yeah, the main places we're active on social media is definitely Instagram and Twitter. And then we've got like a new and really fun Patreon that we've been growing. That's been really fun to hang out with. And we do a monthly K-drama support group there. So basically um, like our patrons can come and we do like a zoom chat where everyone gets to like kind of do what we did tonight, have like a topic and like get off their chest what they need to, because I think especially in this country, like, you know, like we're all U S based, you know, it's not uncommon to be very much a part of like enjoying a lot of this content and not having anyone to talk to about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. trying to make a space for that has um, been really fun. So yeah, you can just literally like, yeah, pop onto our website maybe first afternoon, delight and um, dot com, And you can, that'll show you all the places that we are around the web. Uh, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at sex, love lit, all one word. I guess we're probably the most active on Instagram and I'm trying to be a little bit better about Twitter, but, you know, with varying degrees of success. Yeah. To be fair, our Twitter interactions are often us commenting on stuff that Afternoon Delight posts. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've got to talk about K-dramas with someone. <laughs> so that's what I use it for. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't use my, like, professional Twitter account <laughs> to talk about K-dramas. I don't know. Although my podcasting persona is apparently all about K-dramas. Like, that is how I was introduced when we went on Vox Pop. So (laughs) I I wonder how that happened. (laughs) It's certainly not because I bring them up every episode. That couldn't be it. No way. But thank you so much, Leah, for being with us this episode. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Good night.